Well, hello, 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 and welcome to Wrong Place Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and we have got a great show for you today. Today, we will be interviewing Jerry Keneally, a guy that uh, I have more than one thing in common with, uh, not just being a mystery author, but uh, a career in law enforcement. So I'm pretty excited to interview him and uh, find out a uh, about his generation of law enforcement and what it's like in San Francisco. Uh, but he was an interesting guy, did some other things too, so I really think you'll enjoy hearing, uh, hearing from him. But before we get to Jerry, let's hear from our sponsor. The Wrong Place Right Crime is sponsored by Down and Out Books, and uh, here to tell you what's going on at Down and Out Books is the publisher and chief editor, Eric Campbell. Hi, Frank. This is Eric Campbell from Down and Out Books with a few ideas of how you can warm up December. First up, When the Lonesome Dog Barks by Trey R. Barker. It's the third installment in his Jay Salome series. Two badly beaten bodies are discovered on the edge of Zachary County and seemingly random fight to breaking out at the county jail. They're found to be connected in a world of smartphone videos and online predators. While facing demons of her own, Deputy Sheriff Jace pursues the case with unrelenting fervor, even though the stakes are much higher than her pay grade. Library Journal says, Jace is a fascinating protagonist, flawed and broken, but determined to rebuild her life. December also sees the release of Meat City on Fire and Other Debacles. It's a collection of 16 wonderful stories by Angel Louis Malone. Art Taylor, the multi-award-winning short story author, says Pallone's stories, one after another, they go the distance and well beyond. Frank, I feel like Santa Claus. I'm going to offer your listeners a 25% online discount today. The code is 25DOB2017. They can find out how to use it and find out about these books and order these books at downandoutbooks.com. Wow, that's awesome. What's that code again? 25DOB2017. Okay. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Thanks, Eric. I say it every episode, folks, but the truth that bears repeating down and out books is a stellar publisher, and I'm proud to be uh, uh, one of the many authors that they publish there. If you like your crime fiction gritty and you want to get in on the ground floor of some emerging authors, uh, down and out books is a place to do it. And now let's uh, hear from Jerry Keneally. Well, welcome to the show, Jerry. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, so for everyone out there, let's make sure we're saying your last name correctly. Hopefully I did it in the intro, but uh, how, how is it pronounced? Keneally. Keneally. Okay, good. Easy enough. Yeah. Uh, so you've had an interesting uh, life thus far, um, and uh, we, we have a couple of of things in common there not just uh being mystery authors but uh you had a, a career in law enforcement correct yes i did yeah with the san francisco police department yeah how, how long were you on the job i was uh a policeman for four years then i became what was called a was fuzz i moved over to the fire department oh no and, uh, <laughs> went to the dark side yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it how long was were you a the tough decision because i love Pardon? Go ahead. Oh, about uh, about 20 years, I guess. You were with fire department. But it was a tough, yeah, it was a tough decision because I really loved being a cop. But it was one of those uh, money matters, you know, married, two young kids, and the fire department 
you worked about eight days a month, gave you a lot of time off. So Gave you an opportunity for a second I, job then? or Exactly. That's how I got into the private eye business. And I, I got in on the ground floor and worked for seven years for a guy named Dwayne Weeks and learned the game really well before I went on my own. So it was, it was really perfect timing. So you were a firefighter and a PI at the same time? Yeah. I didn't know that. What kind of cases did yeah, you tend to, I, tend to work? Uh, well, mostly I would say 80% civil, 20% criminal. Um, worked for mainly insurance companies and attorneys. And, were, were we uh, talking about the uh, fall of the guy with the supposedly injured back to see if he's playing Frisbee or things like that? Or what kind of insurance cases? No, mostly it was more or less detailed background investigations and the uh, people find you know. Usually they were dirty. I had to find out if they were working, if they were doing this, or uh, uh, and a lot of locates. I, I did a lot of locates. Insurance companies would uh, lose contact with their uh, insurers or witnesses, that type thing. So we did a lot of that stuff, and uh, just about all around investigation was fun. I when I went on my own, I developed some uh, interesting clients, uh, insurance companies that. I got a lot of criminal cases, rapes, extortion, uh, wrongful death, even homicide, but from a civil angle. Yeah, how, the, does that, the, how does that work exactly, the civil angle? Well, well, say uh, one case we had uh, attractive students. They call them students then. I guess I could choose it. <laughs> uh, checked in a hotel and somebody said, uh, bring the ladies' bags up to room 714 and a scumbag in the... Uh, Lobby heard that went up there and beat her badly and raped her. So there was a big lawsuit against the hotel. Oh. And I had uh, my advice to everybody, pay your homeowners insurance, because I had uh, wrongful deaths, uh, all kinds of things on uh, homeowner policies. So it pays to be paid up on the homeowner policy. Really? I mean, Christ, I mean, uh, we had a, a gangland killing up in Sacramento, and uh, they sued the... Uh, property owner for allowing the party to get out of hand. Wow. Yeah, a lot of that. Did uh, any of your PI work, did that uh, find its way into your Nick Polo novels? Yeah, it did. It really did. Mostly the techniques. Uh, back, this was early with that, and uh, I was using computers. I remember going to a voucher con meeting one time, and people asked me what was the biggest difference between real and uh, real-life private eyes and fictional, and I said they used computers. I mean, no one knew what you could use a computer for, but it was databases. You had, you had some fantastic databases. They got you all kinds of information on people. Yeah, how to have that. So it's a little less exciting than uh, than the fiction and TV would lead us to believe. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, most times. There were those, there were those dangerous times <laughs> when, when I was... Uh, I was glad to be uh, packing a gun there, just to have it, just to show it the war, scare off the bad guys. I mentioned Nick Polo, but maybe you could tell people what that what what that series is about. Oh yeah, well he's uh, uh, an Italian, lives in North Beach, which is my favorite part of the city in San Francisco, and uh, he works as I did as a single private eye, single office most of the time, and uh, I'm. I, I know San Francisco, that's my whole life, born and raised there. So, and the people, and uh, the most input I got from the Polo series was I have a continuing character, Mrs. DeMonte, 
the Ooh. downstairs uh yeah downstairs tenant yeah <laughs> yeah octogenarian a day without a week is like a day without sunshine to mrs d is uh, one of the better lines there so how many novels I, uh, in that series now well the 11th just came out i did 10 and then my agent, uh, they're all first-person private eyes, then my agent, uh, Dominic Abel, uh, signed me up for some uh, thrillers, third-person thrillers, and I went away for it for a while. Then I came back to another series, um, Carol Quint is a reporter, an entertainment reporter for a newspaper like The Chronicle, and it was uh, my attempt at uh, Amateur Sleuth. Yeah. And we had two books that was good, but then my agent passed away, so we didn't do any more. Uh, excuse me, my editor passed away, Ruth Gavin. So that series went down. So you returned to Polo after that? I did a couple more standalones and uh, Polo, and then I, uh, like you, like everybody, we have those stories lurking in our, our backgrounds. And my older brother, Don, was a police, police inspector in a sexual assault detail, and uh, he was uh, detailed to Steve McQueen, when McQueen came to town to film Bullet. Oh, yeah? And, uh, yeah, yeah, bodyguards and show them around town, he and his partner. And McQueen had kind of a reputation as a cop hater, and mainly really? because he liked, liked to smoke pot. But they told him, you know, we don't care what you do, just don't do it in front of us. And they got along real good. So I met McQueen through him, and I said, see, that'd be a nice nice angle, get get out book out of bullet so that's how uh that's how that one turned out what's the name of that one what the hell is the title of that one? <laughs> oh, screen test screen test screen test yeah yeah so what's screen. what's the uh what's the premise for that i mean it, it's centered around the 1968 film i think it is exactly of yeah. a bullet and for people who haven't seen it it has one of the i'd say one of the three best uh car chase scenes uh in film history, uh, right up there with the French connection and to live and die in LA in my book. And yeah, you're uh, good. it's got the best car in all of all three. It's got that, uh, is that a 65 or so Mustang he's got in there or something? Yeah. Like that, that beautiful Mustang. Gorgeous. And, uh, of course, uh, San Francisco has really highlighted it a lot, you know, the Hills and the, and, and yeah, it's so scenic. Yeah. It's really tough. So, uh, you, the novel set around, uh, McQueen that movie uh, McQueen was a cop in that movie what's what's the premise of the novel one of McQueen's uh, staff one of his uh, workers uh, disappears gets in trouble and my hero gets in there and finds them and uh, it turns into a uh, a good mystery with McQueen uh, just in the background but the San Francisco connection and there's the Russian mob and uh, yeah it worked out real good did your uh, did did you draw on some of what your brother experienced uh, to to help with the book? Exactly. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, they once McQueen settled down, they really loved him. He was a fun guy, quick to reach for a tab, and uh, he took advice. They would say, "I'd make a suggestion," and he he would he would be adaptable to it. He was a good guy. Everybody really liked him in the end. And the uh, <laughs> the next book coming out. Uh, Dirty Who is filmed around the time that uh, San Francisco was buying with New York and L.A. for uh, the Dirty Harry movie. And uh, originally Sinatra was a star. And uh, in this case, the same hero as in the McQueen book, Johnny O'Rourke, 
he gets involved in uh, trying to find uh, a member of the San Francisco Film Commission that had uh, disappeared. And so there's a lot of Sinatra in that one. That was that book came out of you know a bread and butter case for an attorney as a slip and fall. And uh, this I had a case years ago was a slip and fall. Young guy got hurt and was in an S and M bar. And we insured the S and M bar, and it was done without permits. And this the plaintiff was a young guy with a good job, making a lot of money, which made a difference. His uh, earning future earnings were huge. So it was a big case, and they sent me out looking for witnesses to it. They were all from these. Uh, there was about five or six really were up S and M bars in town at that time. This is before the AIDS epidemic too. So I had to go to some uh, rather unusual places <laughs> in that investigation. So I had a list of these guys to find, and I'm I'm looking at it. I, my job would be I'd find and interview five guys, and I'd wait a month, and they say find five more guys here. So I'm doing that, and I'm looking at the list, and I see that two of them had been murdered, brutalized, their bodies left up in uh, San Mateo Woods. I said, geez, that's interesting. And I talked to the homicide cop handling that case, so I knew we were helping each other find these guys. And uh, sure enough, he finds the killer. That was one of the guys on my list, the dentist. Simple slip and fall case, and here's Keneally tripping around all these wild joints. Wow. Yeah. That's some pretty healthy coincidence going on. So oh. the, 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 the first book uh, for O'Rourke is the screen test centered around Bullet. Uh, yeah, and then the second one is Dirty Who, uh, and that's more centered around the film Dirty Harry. But it sounds yeah. like it's set prior to the filming of the of the movie. Exactly, that's what San Francisco was trying to secure yeah. it because they were by and uh, Sinatra was uh, lined up. He was he was the guy. Uh, and here again, I have to lead on my brother. He and his three guys, they were Sinatra's bodyguards. Whenever he came to town, off duty, they'd uh, be with him and. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh God, they love Sinatra. I'll bet. Sinatra would uh, <laughs> he'd meet at meet him at the airport and shake their hand, and they'd all get a fifty dollar bill right there, and a handshake. And then wherever Sinatra ate, they ate. Whatever he, you know, there was they they just loved the guy. I'll bet. So, but one of his problems, one of his problems with the movie was uh, he's not a big guy. Sinatra's like Bogart, uh-huh. and he didn't like his co-star. That big, huge gun. It would look kind of silly in his hand. Right. And uh, he had problems with his hand from, uh, what was it, The Manchurian Candidate? You ever see that movie? Uh, yeah, yeah. He had a fight in that one. He was supposed to hit a table that was uh, balsa wood, and it wasn't, and his hand was uh, banged up pretty good. You'd see him performing, he'd have to keep the microphone in his left hand. So the reason he turned the... Uh, the roll down was because of the the gun was just too big. The forty four Magnum that uh, Clint Eastwood yeah. made famous. Yeah, right. Uh, I right. can't imagine anyone other than Eastwood in that film, but it's interesting to think of how Sinatra might have approached it. Yeah, yeah, in a different different manner because Mitchum turned it down, John Wayne turned it down, everybody turned it down, and uh, turned out perfect with uh, Eastwood picking it up. Yeah, see, Mitchum, he he he. Reminds me of Eastwood a little bit, and John Wayne, uh-huh. you know, is his own animal, of course. But, yeah. but all of them would have played it, I think, a, a, a fairly similar to the way Eastwood played it. I yeah. can't, I can't see uh, 
Sinatra playing it that way, I think he would have to play it a little smoother, you know. That's just his style, you know. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, he, well, you know, he had, he had done the detective. He had just done the uh, Tony, uh, Tony Rome pictures. So physically he was yeah. okay, but yeah. uh, that guy was just... Because Paul Newman turned it down, too. It, it was too small for the role. Now, they... they Sinatra made the... the uh, like the, the first Deadly Sin, right? The Lawrence Sanders novel that they yeah. adapted to the movie. So right. It's not like Sinatra didn't play cops. He just didn't want to play this right. one, huh? Yeah, that and the detective, that was a good one, too. But uh, uh, he wasn't comfortable with this. So and, you got uh, two good books out of it, thanks to your brother being yeah, a, I got a... <laughs> Moonlighter bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. pretty cool. We'll get back to our interview with uh, Jerry Keneally in a minute, but uh, this is the part of the show where we usually turn to the experts, and by experts I mean bookstore owners and other folks whose uh, job it is to tell you, uh, or at least to suggest what uh, books out there you might love, uh, what books are are worth reading. But uh, I thought for this episode we might do something a a little different. since it's the holidays and everybody's enjoying their Black Friday weekend rather than disturb them, I'm going to be your expert for this episode, and it's a, a, a throwback recommendation. Rather than something new that's out there, I'm going to suggest a couple of old war horses that you may or may not have discovered. I'm actually surprised sometimes to find out how many people haven't uh, heard of either one of these mystery series, and so I'm going to suggest them to you, and if you haven't uh, heard of them yet, I encourage you to check them out. The first one is John D. McDonald's Travis McGee series. This series is, is uh, easily identified. The title of every installment has, the, has a color in the title, so the, the first book is the, the Deep Blue Goodbye, and I'm pretty sure the very last one, uh, which was written in about 87 or so. It was called The Lonely Silver Rain. Travis McGee is an interesting character. He's very firmly a, a, a man of his times in, in many respects. He uh, uh, has a lot of baby boomer traits to him. Uh, and yet he, uh, well ahead of, of, of his time, uh, seems to have adopted a couple of the millennial traits. And what I mean by that is uh, Travis McGee refers to himself as a salvage expert. Uh, He will get things for you that you need gotten, and that can be pretty much anything, uh, money, items, people. And uh, and the thing about Travis McGee is he is kind of taken on this idea of taking his retirement in small chunks. So he'll do a job, and then he'll chill out on on the money he earned for a while. He lives on a houseboat called the Busted Flush. Uh, that he won uh, in a card game, as you might imagine, and uh, he he bluffed and uh, won, won the hand. And, and that's an important character trait in Travis McGee because he's willing to bluff and take a chance, but he's also willing to back it up if you call us bluff. Uh, very much a, a quintessential man's man written in the 60s and 70s, uh, so uh, that definition of what a man should be. But also, uh, like I mentioned before, John D. McDonald was a little bit forward-thinking in some ways with Travis McGee. If you're a millennial, you might see some of your own particular worldview uh, there in, in, in uh, Travis McGee. Uh, he's certainly a ladies' man, certainly rough and tumble, and he gets into some pretty interesting uh, adventures and, and he, every book really has an interesting soul uh, at, at the heart of it. The characters are not wooden; they're very well defined. And uh, and, and Travis McGee's a pretty deep feeling individual. So, uh, so 
check it out. Travis McGee novels by John D. McDonald. The first one is The Deep uh, Deep Blue Goodbye. The other series I wanted to try to turn you on to, if you haven't already heard of it, is Lawrence Block's Matt Scudder series. Matt Scudder is a New York police officer uh, who is involved in a fatal shooting in which he killed, uh, mistakenly, accidentally killed a... uh, about an eight-year-old girl, and uh, he left the force as a result of it, and he left pretty much all the rest of his life, too, including his wife and two kids on Long Island. When we first meet Matt Scudder, he's an alcoholic living in uh, Manhattan, and uh, he essentially is an unlicensed PI. He does favors for people. They pay him whatever is fair, and that's how he gets by. Uh, Matt Scudder is is really a a thinking reader's detective, uh, there are certainly guns and violence and, and bad guys who, who will use both. And Scudder's not above using either one uh, either. But uh, this is much more, uh, these, these books are much more centered around uh, the process of investigation and how Matt Scudder peels back the layers of the onion uh, every time that he gets a case. There's about 16, 17, 18 Scudder novels now. Um, about the fourth or f- about the fifth one called When the Sacred Gin Mill Closes. Uh, Lawrence Block kind of thought he was finished with this series, um, and then he discovered there was there was a lot more Matt Scudder to to reveal. Scudder is a functioning alcoholic. Later on in the series, he's a he's a sober alcoholic, and that certainly plays a role throughout the uh, throughout the books. Um, and uh, he's a very non-judgmental person in a lot of ways and, and I think that's one of the things I liked about him too I mean he'll he'll judge people but uh, not necessarily by what they're showing on the surface and so uh, so two very different characters Travis McGee and uh, and Matt Scudder uh, again the McGee novel the first one is called the deep blue goodbye and all of them have a color in the title the first Scudder book is called sins of the father uh, the second one, Time to Murder and Create, and it goes on from there. Uh, highly recommend these. I'm not an expert like some of the experts I bring on this show. I never worked in a bookstore. I'm not a professional editor, but I read a shit ton of books like most of you. And so if you haven't checked either one of those of these out, if they sound even remotely appealing, I promise you, you will be glad you spent some time reading them. Uh, all right, so there's your expert for the for the month, uh, special guest expert. <laughs> Let's get back to our discussion with Jerry Keneally. Let's uh, let's go back to polo for a second. Uh, you said you sure. wrote ten of them, um, and then the eleventh right. just recently. Now that that's polo's long shot that I'm thinking of. Right? That's right. That's yeah, the, I've been yeah. reading that. That's. Uh, uh, really well written and and it's obvious you know i was never a pi but it's obvious from reading it that you know you bring a lot of your own knowledge into the into the story because it's it's all it all has the ring of veracity it has credibility to it and and a lot of times when you read you know different mystery books written by people who haven't done police work or done private investigation you know they 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 make a lot of mistakes or they do things that aren't very plausible what's one what's some of the bigger mistakes that you see people doing when they're writing uh private investigator scenes or things like for instance in in police one of the things that drives me crazy when cops pull their gun out detective or patrolman doesn't matter they pull their gun out and then they rack the slide 
you know, because they're about yeah. to get busy, right? And that just I makes right. me grind my teeth. And I'm pretty easy going about film errors, but that one just kills me because it's just so yeah. bad. Uh, are there are there things like that? In, are there things like that in the private investigator arena that you just shake your head and go, "That is just that's as bad as that." Well. Well, the one that is as bad as that to me is when they screw a silencer on a revolver. <laughs> and it goes... It can't possibly work, but you see it in some good movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the sound that it makes and, and, and the... Yeah. Uh, like it somehow s manages to uh, silence the slide racking uh, sound, the cycling of the gun. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's... Uh, How about in I private investigation techniques? Are there things that people just totally screw up oh yeah uh, especially on uh, access to records uh, i remember a fellow nice guy wrote a book he, he he showed it to me and i'm reading it and he's trying to find uh somebody up in uh, up in the mountain somewhere and he's going through all this he's calling people he's doing this he's doing this you're running around and i said all he had to do was check his assessor records and he'd have the address you know he could do it in three seconds on your on your computer <laughs> So he got all pissed off at me. It made good reading, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you didn't want to let the truth uh, get in the way of some good fiction, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but mostly that's it. And uh, uh, and guns. You know, we're going back to guns. Um, most private eyes don't carry guns purely because uh, insurance problems. Sure. If you ever use one, how right it was, you'd be in, you'd be in deep trouble. Uh, your error and emission uh, insurance, which is expensive, would go through the roof. Just for carrying it, or if you carried it? There was times when I did, just so yeah, just so they would know I was, because I had to go to a lot of really uh, uh, dark places to interview these people I was after for one reason or another. Uh, a lot of them were pretty bad guys. So just for that purpose, but uh, oh, wow. If you ever pull the trigger, your insurance company, their insurance company, wow. <laughs> See, you're focused on the insurance rates going through the roof. The question I've got is, what what was one of the darkest places you ever had to go? Oh, gosh. Those S&M bars were probably about as dark as it got. And there are other places just uh, you'd go and find somebody who was all of a sudden was, uh, would turn on you and wanted to take you out, wanted to uh, get at you. So it was interesting. What my... Take it out, I would always go someplace really early in the morning if it was dark. One of the, I had one attorney who loved to have me serve subpoenas on difficult people, and uh, he seemed to get some enjoyment out, <laughs> out of it. But uh, I had to go to some tough times to get it. Sometimes I just wrapped the subpoena around a bottle of Jack Daniels and handed it to a guy, and then run like hell. <laughs> That's inventive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, with all the mystery novels and TV shows out there that involve police and involve uh, uh, the uh, private investigating world, you know, we kind of touched on how a lot of those aren't necessarily true to life or they, they play fast and loose with, with the facts. Uh, but there are some out there that were pretty realistic in a lot of ways. And I, I always felt like uh, that the show, uh, The Rockford Files, was, uh, you know, certainly yeah. it was fictionalized and everything. But you know, yeah. as far as coming close, I felt like at least in tone and, and such that Jim Rockford really kind of was closer to what I 
thought a real private eye might be like than most of the TV and mystery cohorts. Was I off base there, or is there any truth no. to that? No, no, you're right on on that. I'm laughing because um, back in those days, I got a his answering machine. An answering machine was a uh, it was a new invention at that time. Not everybody had one, so he had that one that opened the show. Mm-hmm. And I had one just exactly like it. My son always called it Roxford's answering machine. <laughs> and it, it would tape for 60 seconds and then it hang up and the guy would have to call back. But uh, we had a kick out of that. That, that show was one of the few shows where you'd see the the main character, you know, like routinely get beat up and, you know, punch somebody mm-hmm. and it would hurt his hand. And I mean, he's, he's very true to life you know compared again we're speaking relatively i mean compared to some of the other shows that sure are out there uh, were yeah. there other any other shows or films that you uh that you felt were pretty close to reality based on what you lived i'm trying to think i think i think rockford you hit the bullseye on that i'm trying to think of other ones you know for a while there there was there was nothing but pi shows now they're few and far between yeah definitely had uh, a golden age there for quite a while yeah yeah I had an Hollywood agent trying to pedal polo, and he came close, 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 but it never got over the board there. Oh, that no. would have been nice. That, that, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Uh, pedal it as a movie or as a series? A TV series. Oh. TV series, yeah. Oh. Every writer has a sob story about how close he came to you know, getting <laughs> into the movies or TV. Mine was, uh, this guy worked hard as hell, and he, what they needed was a star to get the money for the production. The, Somebody had to commit, yeah. So okay. um, my agent lived out in Hollywood. He has a, uh, in Malibu, and he's going to get this guy over that night. And the producer, I talked to him, he said, oh, yeah, we'll be up. We want to talk to you. We want to see San Francisco. And they're all set. All he had to do was sign. He didn't show up. So Who was it? <laughs> uh, Michael Madsen. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, that's, that's disappointing. I, uh, he could be a pretty good polo based on, I've, I've only read the yeah. long, long shot. So, uh, I haven't read the entire series, but, uh, I could definitely see him in that role for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's too yeah. bad. That's too bad. Well, uh, I don't have one of those stories, so, uh, I'm jealous. You got, you got a great one there. <laughs> Missed it by yeah. that much. Yeah. You, you did 20 years, you said, uh, with the, or 25, how many years with the fire department? Uh, 20, I guess it was around. You know how much we cops make fun of firefighters, right? I mean, oh, yeah. You, you totally experienced yeah. that in your time on the job, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know the firefighter's creed, right? What's that? Eat till you're tired, sleep till you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what the difference between a cop and a fireman is? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> a fireman wants a discount, a cop wants it for free. There's a little truth in that. <laughs> that is a truism that uh, doesn't matter if it's in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or Regina, Saskatchewan. They're, yeah. They are a cheap bunch, and they like to make fun of firefighters. And so those are some universal yeah. truths for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I Did, remember after, after I left the cops, I, I would go to a place for a cup of coffee, and I'd get up without paying for it. I said, wait a minute, I thought those days are over. So how long, uh, what, what years were you uh, on the uh, San Francisco PD? Oh, Christ. When was that? Late 60s, I guess. Late 60s. Uh, so completely different time than, than today, obviously. Oh, God, um, yeah. Sounds yeah. like there was still a lot of, a lot of 
free meals and things like that being handled? Yeah, there was a lot of comrade. Uh, there's a place that uh, in all my books almost, and it's in uh, it's also in the two the McQueen and uh, Clint Eastwood uh, book. Uh, Cookies, Cookie Star Buffet it was a bar on uh, Kearney Street in San Francisco, right next to the Old Hall of Justice, and it had the reputation of being the best cop bar in San Francisco. I meet cops there from New York, and they say the best cop bar in the world. It's just a what, kind what of a dingy it, joint. It so great. Uh, it's just the people who went there, uh, and the guy who owned it, Cookie, was a great guy. He said he had a sign, the biggest water bill in town, because everybody drank water, bourbon and water. You know, a, a, a gin and tonic was an exotic drink. But there'd be judges and uh, reporters and cops, and it was just a terrific joint. And it was one of those ones I'd go into and say, Jesus, one of these days it's not going to be here. Enjoy it, Chair. Have it a good time here. Is it still there? Oh, no, no. No, it's been gone for, oh, gosh, 15, 20 years, I guess. But uh, you'd see judges talking to uh, attorneys. Cases being settled there, you know what I mean? It was just terrific. Just terrific. It's always nice when, you, when you're reading a book and, and the locale is part of the story. It's not just some generic any town USA, but it's yeah. very, very much. Do you consciously try to work San Francisco elements into your books or do do they just kind of naturally organically occur i think uh, a little bit of both i guess you know because I, like i said born my father was born in san francisco i was born there my wife was born in san francisco we just uh, i remember uh, when i first went to uh, work as the private investigator for Dwayne weeks and well you have to go over to uh, albany i go albany where the hell is that you know Novato. I mean, when you lived in the city in those days, you really lived in the city. <laughs> Everything else was uh, way out there. But that was another good thing about being a private investor. I got to travel all over the Bay Area. I don't think there's a town or a neighborhood I haven't been in. Uh, yeah. uh, I lived in East Bay for uh, about a year or so after I got out of the Army. I lived in uh, in Antioch. Oh, sure. Antioch, yeah. Worked uh, Pittsburgh and Antioch. Yeah, yeah, I uh, worked. In fact, I uh, first uh, police uh, test I took anywhere in my career was for Antioch, and uh, completely bombed the te- the oral interview. I I learned uh, I learned the old adage: don't tell them what you think they want to hear; just tell them. <laughs> you know, because I yeah. I completely bombed it. It was uh, hilarious looking back. That's another thing that you'll see in the private eye books that doesn't ring too true. Uh, he'll be hired to go to uh, Chicago, New York, or somewhere, where he'd get off the plane and not know anything, you know, not know where to go. And plus, your client is paid. If you're going to pay, in, you have to pay your hourly fee while you're in a plane. You have to pay everything. It's really expensive. So my territory was kind of from Sacramento to Carmel, and, uh, and then into the East Bay, but mostly in San Francisco. Once in a while, a guy had sent me down to L.A. or <clears throat> or Las Vegas or something. Yeah. And I said, "Hey, you're paying me. You're paying me all the time I'm away." Yeah, that's got to so, get expensive uh, fast, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that doesn't ring true in a lot of books. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you uh, you know brought your expertise from being on the job for for a handful of years, and you got your brother as a as a resource as well? Uh, and yeah. And all, all your time as a PI. 
Have you ever considered or are there any plans to bring your experiences as a firefighter into the equation? Well, it just doesn't have the same flair, you know. Uh, I can't get excited about the firefighting end of it as, uh, as I can on, on the uh, investigator. I had a case, uh, attorney hires me, it was a fire. And the big deal was where it started, so because there's all applicants, they're all everybody's suing each other. So he wanted to talk to the first responders, and he says, "You know these guys, Jerry?" And I go, "Yeah, I know most of them." He says, "Well, I want to bring them into the office. I'll buy them coffee and donuts. I'll, I'll serve them lunch, whatever they want. And uh, can you arrange that?" I says, "Well, it's going to cost a little more than that, Jim." I went down the list. This guy's a carpenter. This guy's a plumber, electrician, carpenter, plumber. This guy's a dentist. He says, a dentist? I said, yeah, he works out in West Portal. And this guy lives in Santa Rosa, and he's an attorney. Oh, Christ. My client went crazy. An attorney? So I said, you're going to have to pay these guys a lot of money. Just for their time, huh? Yeah, sure. That's their time off. If, you, if, you're, if they're talking to you, they're not doing their other job. Right. Yeah, so that went out the window quick. <laughs> Reconsidered, did he? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, indeed. indeed. So there's no uh, backdraft or something along those lines in your future, well, it doesn't sound like. No, no, no. I kind of like the the more personal involvement that you get mm -hmm. with uh, an investigator. And I like what well, the Polos uh, and the uh, O'Rourke books. I like the first person I go for, Private Eye. With the, yeah. I am the camera and follow me. And for the thrillers, I like third person. So you've got um, uh, Screen Test and, and Dirty Who, and, and, and the Dirty Who is coming out when? Uh, this spring, uh, next spring, yeah. Spring and of 2018. Are they both with Down and Out books? Yeah, both with Down and Out, yeah. Okay. Down and Out. They're great. They're... Nick Polo, too? Nick Polo, too, yes, yes. Okay. Thank God for Down and Out. You know, the, the, uh, the publishers are just either merging or going away, so... I got to hand it to those two guys. They too, they're really working hard and putting out a lot of books. They're doing a great job. Uh, Eric and Lance, uh, they're so easy to work with and so uh, helpful when you're working with them. It's really great. Really great. Do you have a, a third book in the O'Rourke uh, series, uh, Bruin? Uh, no, I'm, I've, I've done a, uh, a standalone that I'm just ending up. Uh, but then I think I'll do a polo and then an O'Rourke. Do it that way. So what's the uh, what movie will the O'Rourke one be centered around, or do you know yet? I don't know yet. I'm gonna have to find one, huh? Yeah, Woody well, Allen did a did one. I don't know. <laughs> Woody, Woody Allen. Now that would be switching gears. <laughs> Sounds well, like all you have to do clever. is go call your brother up and find out who he's been bodyguarding for. Uh, is, uh, go go. Be a long room. distance call. He's been gone a while. Oh no! I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me pull my foot out of my mouth, and then I'll ask you another question. Oh, uh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, but that was uh, another great deal about having been a, a policeman and then going into the private ideal. You know, I could talk to these guys. You spoke uh, their language. Yeah, their language, and they could kind of trust you. Right. Yeah. So the next polo book, what's uh, do you have that uh, mapped out, or is that still just a... A, a twinkle. Yeah, still working on it. Trying to flesh it out. Yeah, yeah. I kind of uh, took a couple of months off after the last one, mm -hmm. and uh, thinking of the first year and getting into it again. But yeah, 
it's a great place to write about the city because uh, when I grew up, uh, I grew up in the Excelsior district, Outer Mission, and it was 90% Italian. There were more Italians there than in North Beach. It was great, 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 great time and place to grow up. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, like I said, I get people who say, when are you going to write another Mrs. DeMonte book? What's Mrs. DeMonte? <laughs> they liked her more than Polo. <laughs> well, she definitely has her... Uh, she's a strong character for sure. Very Yes, yeah. yeah. Very easy to, to picture. And, uh, yeah. Pretty... Controls the scene that she's in usually, or dominates the scene pretty much. She do, she so, do. But, yeah. uh, but that's just good writing, you know, if you're able to... to Thank you. That. Uh, well, Jerry, uh, it's been great chatting with you and uh, uh, learning more about Polo and O'Rourke and uh, uh, San Francisco, and uh, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate you having me. All right. Well, that is uh, our interview with Jerry Keneally. Very interesting guy. He's had a, a, quite a journey and a pretty fascinating one. Uh, I'm glad I finally got to, to catch up to him. I, so uh, in our next episode, we'll be interviewing S.W. Loudon, and we caught up with him for a few minutes uh, to hit him with our quick hit questions. S.W. Loudon, what city do you live in now? I live in Los Angeles, California. Who's your favorite writer? Don Winslow. Your favorite movie? The original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Favorite TV show? I am enjoying Mr. Robot. Do you have a nickname? People should refer to me as S-dubs. What are you working on right now? I actually have a short story due for an anthology that is based on the music of the Go-Go's, and my song is Vacation. What hobby do you have that has nothing to do with writing? Uh, I was a professional musician for a long time. Uh, Well, I was a drummer, so I'm not sure if that was a musician or not. (laughs) Your favorite sport? I'm going to go with wiffle ball. Who's your favorite musician? Eric Beatner, right? No, he's not my favorite anything. <laughs> he's not even my favorite co-host. <laughs> I'm going to go with Keith Moon. Five-second advice to aspiring writers. Keep your day job. Where would you like to go that you've never been? My wife and I have always wanted to go to Vietnam. What's your favorite quote? We do doodly do, doodly do, doodly do, what we must, muddly must, muddly must, muddly must, muddly do, muddly do, muddly do, muddly do, until we bust, bodily bust, bodily bust, bodily bust. Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) It's Kurt Vonnegut. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Now you know way more than you ought to about S.W. Loudon, and you're going to find out even more in our December episode. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Jerry Keneally for coming on the show and, of course, uh, Down Out Books uh, for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Next episode, S.W. Loudon. And until then, this is Frank Zaffaro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.